When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This is the Book Riot Podcast. I'm Jeff Lugan. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. Today we're talking about the most anticipated books of 2024, not just ours, but the book riot, larger Book Riot writing community. Why Oprah may have been jumping in, up and down, Tom Cruise style, if not literally, <laughs> then figuratively, for Covenant of Water. Banning the dictionary, Taylor Swift enters into our world through another literary conspiracy and more. Rebecca Shinsky, how are you? I'm good. I feel fully in the swing of 2024. I've seen all the memes that like circle back season did not wait. And that is true in my experience as well. It was like straight in to the deep end. But the momentum is really nice. It's nice to have book news happening this again. This is a proper, this is a full fat yes. yogurt wheat of book news right here. It is. It's a real episode. There's plenty new, cool, and worth talking about stuff Yes, definitely. to get into. Uh, I'm going to toot my own horn for a second. Yeah, do it. Get out the trumpet. Yeah. I mean, listeners of this show know we love ourselves, like a self-help book, a cookbook, something that's going to help you live your life better. Uh, I have a new newsletter launching this week about those. It's called Better Living Through Books. You can find a link in the show notes or at betterlivingthroughbooks.substack.com. Right now, it's going to come out every two weeks, and I'll be looking at all that kind of stuff, books to help you live the life that you want to have. Uh, this first installment is a first of two-parter about books for really common New Year's resolutions, uh, stuff to help you get organized, stuff to help you get your mind right, stuff to help you get your priorities straight. Uh, the next one, I'm going to do some books about personal finance, books about relationships, books about organization. Uh, and then throughout you know, the course of writing this thing, we'll get into all sorts of, we call them lifestyle nonfiction. Uh, I'm yeah. really looking forward to it. It's the kind of project I wanted to work on for a while. This was just the right time to launch it. So hope a lot of y'all will join me there. Also, you know, 10 years into a podcast is the right time to launch a newsletter for it, right? <laughs> so we finally have... The irony is that we did a pretty good job in the wider media <laughs> landscape of getting on the newsletter train as a company. Right. It is. It yeah. That not is a it, yeah. Not for this one, but we do finally have a free to everyone Book Riot podcast newsletter. This is separate from the Patreon. You can find it at brpod.substack.com. The first one is actually coming out tomorrow as we're recording this, so it will be available by the time you're reading this. And archives are always available at Substack. That's one of the nice things about mm. using that platform. But we're going to, this will also be bi-weekly. We're going to take turns. I wrote the first one and we are sharing, you know, what kind of what's on our mind with stuff lately, links to the most recent episodes in case you've missed anything. Listener mailbag. Jeff's been dropping in notes from the mailbag and his own responses to them and at least one mention of spreads. Y'all, please don't continue to torture me. <laughs> <laughs> with spreads, And then if there are links to, that we didn't get to talk about in the show, we might share yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, Substack is wonderful for community building features and we'll have the comments turned on there. Don't be a jerk. Uh, but anybody who signs up will be able to talk with us and with each other about the show. Uh, the Patreon community will continue to be its own special walled garden with the bonus episodes and, and folks able to chatter there as well. But we wanted to have a place where, you know, Y'all can hear from us more regularly. You have another avenue to reach out to us. Folks are so great about sending uh, feedback email, but this is just another way for us to all stay in touch. That's brpod.substack.com. Yeah, we get enough interesting listener email and some of it makes it into follow-up, but some of it doesn't because it's 
it's not worth spending five minutes on it. There's so much can't get to it all. And I, I try to respond to much of it. I'm actually a little bit backlogged from the holiday. And what I'm doing with the listeners or the listener feedback there is like I'm writing a little response or a thank you or context or something else, like which is I would like to do to everyone, but I also cannot be my full time job. Mm-hmm. But if it's for the newsletter and other people are seeing it. So a couple notes as you continue. Always love to hear from you. Podcast at bookriot.com. That email goes there. But also proactively understand that I may pick your feedback unless you say not to. I won't use your name unless you give me affirmative consent. But also, if you want to put in your Instagram handle, your whatever, so other listeners and readers can find you, I will include that. Because part of the, part of the fun here is doing some community building, cross-pollinization, and everything that happens there. If there's follow-up to follow-up, we can go all the way down. Love that. You know what? It can be an email <laughs> chain going back 11 years. We can do it's this. A, it's a great time. And just so y'all know, Jeff does check our email, but when you send yes. something that's for me or for both of us, he will forward it to me. So I see those a lot of those as well. Thank you so yeah. much for all the kind messages. Always appreciate that. Also, the Read Harder Challenge is live. Bookride.com slash Read Harder. 24 reading challenges to jumpstart, diversify, push the envelope of your own reading life. Lord, is there anything else to push? I guess one other thing I wrote for the deep dive this week, um, the subject of the email is what makes an it book, in which I broke down some of the big categories that Rebecca and I have used uh, since last year to determine what an it book is, how they correlate, what the it books coming out this year look like, um, and what to look for there. So you can find that if you're interested. Well, I think that's enough promo. People are already listening. So let's move on to a sponsor to promo someone (laughs) else and we'll get into news of the week. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. We don't often exchange text messages where I get mad about how dumb we are, Um, (laughs) but you sent me this piece about Oprah Winfrey being interested, talking about, I don't know, by the time something reaches this level of the press, Rebecca, I feel like this this thing is cooked. It's all but cooked, right? It's cooked. It's at least cooking. Like the burners yeah, are okay. on. Something's happening. It's from the Hollywood Reporter, a piece by Nikisa Mumbi Moody, uh, that Oprah is eyeing The Covenant of Water and Adaptation as her next film project. And as soon as I saw this, I was like, of course. Of course. Like, we're, we're, we're sitting here wondering, why, why would Oprah, who's a multimedia conglomerate mogul why in the world would she be stomping so who has adapted other books why would she be stomping this i can't figure this out it's like it's like it's the gordian knot it's one of those mathematical paradoxes that people have been working on for three thousand years this is maybe the biggest facepalm moment i've had in the 10 years we've done this show I, I want and I want to say I believe that Oprah's love for the Covenant of Water is genuine. I think she genuinely loves this book and is invested in its success. But why she spent four months being invested in its success when she usually spends mm. about a month on a book club book, you, you know, she's got an extra interest here in moving units of that and building fans for it, so that there's an audience ripe to see an adaptation. And the more copies the book has sold, the stronger case you can make to a studio yes. to produce an adaptation. This makes so much sense. I was really trying to find, I don't know, some justification, some comfort for us. I was like, you know, she's not Reese. Like, she's not just in the business of adapting books the way Reese Witherspoon is. Like, my sort of expected outcome anytime there's a Reese book club book is that might 
might be right. something she puts on Hulu. There's a pretty decent chance that it will be. Oprah not doing a whole lot of those. And when we speculate about stuff and then we miss something super obvious, often a listener will reach out and be like, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> here is, that's true. Here is Tara, the piece. I, really, it's the listener's fault is what you're saying. All, I mean, I'm not sure a, if I'd go that far, Rebecca, well, you know, but I hear what you're not, saying. I, I not wouldn't do that myself. It's not just the listener's fault. We are, this is, oh, we're talking okay. about community, Jeff. This was just a collective failure. <laughs> yeah, right. Or they thought it was so obvious, and they're like, what are these numb nuts doing? Why are they spinning their wheels? Yeah. Well, I think there is something to be said for the case. Again, if there is any defense to be made of us, is that Oprah, we wondered why she didn't do this going back to the 90s. She yeah. could have done this 30 really years ago. Have. Everyone have our own imprint, do a Sarah Jessica Parker thing, do a Roxanne Gay thing, and then like really get into the whole pipeline and development. And she, she just hasn't. I don't know why now. I don't know why this book doesn't matter. But I think we were so used to, um, we were anchored on the Mm -hmm. idea that Oprah did not trade in this kind of, and I want to be careful here because I don't don't think there's anything wrong with it, of more, more using her influencing power to directly benefit from that influencing when it comes to a product like this. I think I was noodling on writing about this for the deep dive this Mm. time. It was even before the Oprah thing and thinking about TikTok and like Roxanne Gay and Reese and some of these in, in, um, I can't remember the name of the company that's in bed with the Instagrammers and book talkers where they're like having them pick it and they get a revenue share. Mm -hmm. Literati. There's something, and there's something boiling here about the collapse of the, publicity part of the publishing complex mm-hmm. in the sales part, which is new. And I wonder if the center can hold, or maybe for 50 years we've been doing this wrong. And the mouthpieces should be part of the production and monetization mm-hmm. pipeline. And this is... Th- anyway, I'm interested in this. Yeah, it's a... I can just feel like every bro in the world going like, synergy. <laughs> Yeah, like, right, right. Like right. Reese Witherspoon really was the f- the big first mover here with Hello Sunshine that many of the books that she picked for the book club became adaptations. I think it's really savvy. It's multiple ways of pointing your audience's attention at, at stuff and they can mm-hmm. pay attention like Reese can pay attention to which of the book club books get enough traction, right? you right. know, and then enough buzz even just outside the book club, but enough mainstream buzz to become an it book, the kind of thing that would make people pay attention and tune into a Hulu show or watch a movie that she's produced. I don't know if we've been doing it wrong for the last 50 years, but I think in the current moment where influencers are an, an increasingly, it seems, critical piece of marketing plans, if you are an influencer big enough to oh, an influencer and a tastemaker, and I think those are meaningfully different things. Like mm. all tastemakers are influencers, but not all influencers are tastemakers. And Oprah and Reese are in the realm of tastemaker in a way that they can really direct their audience's attention and consumers' attention to the things that they think people should be paying attention to and watching and reading more. And if they have that kind of power and they've built that kind of platform and audience trust. As you were saying, like there's nothing wrong with them benefiting from it, especially when they're being as intentional as Reese has been and as Oprah will be about the kinds of books that they select. Now that we've had a couple of days to like get used to this news, I've been thinking about what an adaptation of The Covenant of Water would be like. And I mean, this is a heavy one. And Oprah acknowledges that in this Hollywood Reporter piece. Mm. There are quotes about like, it's going to be hard to get this off the ground. She acknowledges part of that is that it's you have a hell of a time getting it done because it's a story about people of color uh, is one of the things she said. But this is it's a it is a heavy, sad story. And maybe it's recency bias. But I think a big like it's multi-generational it could be really beautiful, like something like the pachinko treatment at Apple. Like this feels like an Apple situation yeah. of six or seven big hour long episodes that could tackle the big chunks of the book and might make the pieces of the book that are a little confusing where you're tracking characters back and forth. Like they might be able to smooth some of that out in an adaptation in a way that would make the story more accessible to a wider audience. So I, I don't know. I think there's a good case for it. I mean, sure. It's it. It could be quite beautiful. It would be really moving and special. I don't in our given in our current media moment. I have zero yeah. sense of it as a standalone box office property. Um, 
I don't know what stars you get to attach with it for all the reasons you said before. I'm sure it could work. Maybe three years ago in the um, the streets are wash with gold rush mm-hmm. money. You could have given an easier lift to do. I guess the other thing I wonder about is, you know, it, it'd be it would feel categorically different if the New York Times tomorrow said, you know what, we now have a uh, an adaptation production arm, and we're going to option. It, it would have mattered more thirty years ago, mm-hmm. right? Especially when they were the tastemakers. We're going to option the stuff that we give really good reviews to. The thing that I wonder about is what kind of appetite on an ongoing basis. I think you can do this a little while. Are you cashing in some of your trust chips to do this? Mm-hmm. Right, because there is a world in which it is you're you're dealing with one hand and then raking in the chips with the other when you're recommending books to people so that you can option it and then sell the movie rights to somebody else. That it's not the same as I really like this book and I want you to read it. It's it's just not. And maybe maybe I'm naive or maybe I think or maybe people will deal with that differently. But it is just different than this idea of the purest form of I want you to this is the book I'm picking for my book club. And mm-hmm. you can subscribe to my newsletter and join the community and pay me $8 a month to be part of the community, but it doesn't affect what I'm picking. And I think we have to wonder now with all of these how much is are they only picking things that hasn't been optioned already? Are they only mm, picking things mm-hmm. that I think be, could be made into the movie? Could, are, they, are they pitching things that they share the same agent? You know, all the kind of stuff that goes into it. And maybe people don't, maybe people don't care. Maybe people don't know. But I do wonder if you move into a different world when people start realizing, when you start doing that. Because the other thing to do is it limits your options. If you're only going to pick or you're going to pick you know, things or part of what you're picking is because you can get the rights to it. It doesn't mean you're actually picking from everything that's possibly pickable to you. And that could change what you pick. Yeah. I think that's a great, it's a great point. It'll be really interesting. I think if the quality or the kind of the selections changes meaningfully from somebody after they start doing this, after they start optioning and producing films of the books that they have previously just recommended because they like them and they're a tastemaker, I think folks would pay attention to that. Like we are in such a strange moment with influencer marketing where it's like that influencer definitely got paid to tell you how much they like mm. their athletic green smoothie and you still trust them even though you know they got paid to say it. <laughs> so you or people do go you? buy it. Or, like, or is it the same as if they didn't disclose they didn't get paid? I don't know the answer. Yeah. There's probably studies about this. I don't actually Maybe. know. Maybe. Um, but I think there are like there are brands that are certainly spending a lot of money. And, you know, we both listen to a lot of podcasts, folks listening to this show. Like, yes. you know, the brands that you hear advertised on a lot of shows or they get uh, personal endorsements from a lot of podcast hosts. And, like, that's fine. They're making money, too. But I always wonder the same kind of that same thing. Does it erode the trust? Um, mm. And if you know the person got paid to say they like this thing, how is that different from having just listened to a, a traditional ad about it? And it would be interesting to see, like, if Oprah's selections shift in any meaningful way like one of the interesting things about the Reese trend is that she continues to select a wide variety of books for the book club but if I've been paying attention enough to the ones that get adapted they are all kind of in the zone of like there's some sort of like domestic thrillery moment or like a suspenseful story it's a Leanne Moriarty adaptation that's right Uh, it's a Celeste Ng adaptation and it kind of seems to me that there's just a subset of the Reese picks that Reese has decided work well for adaptations and she continues to do a pretty eclectic diverse selection across the book club but if it all became you know like girl on the train dupes <laughs> that could yeah. be adapted into stuff I think we would be looking askance at it and maybe that's also a divide between the book people paying attention to the book clubs and like the casual consumer of a couple books a year paying attention to these book club selections or who just want to go see a good movie and they heard that Oprah liked this book it was based on um it, it's it's one it's hard to get outside of my book personness to have an interesting yeah. answer to. And I think it's possible to. I mean, it's it's an also a kind of a, a wonderful way around the SponCon FTC disclosure mm-hmm. policy, right? If like you can jump up and down all you want about a particular book, if you're not paying directly by the publisher to do that, but you can have your hand in the cookie jar too, and you're building or otherwise have already optioned it, so that if it turns out to be something. So I don't know, It's it gets into this, and I don't think anyone has pure motive, or very few people that have this kind of clout can think or should think purely about, 
I don't know, some sort of altruistic move. They're so influential that there's consequences no matter what they do, whether or right. not they have part of it, part of it or not. Um, but it, it does give me pause to wonder about how, you know, how much street cred you have to cash in with people. And maybe I'm the sucker. Maybe it's like, yeah, this works. And it's a flywheel where you get more and more cred and you can spend it more and more and people trust you more because they like the books you read. And not only does it not hurt your credibility, it helps it because they want to see, they want to read the Reese book becomes became a movie or something like mm-hmm. that. On the other hand, we haven't turned out a bunch of Stranger Things. Like it's not like there's been giant hits. There's been some stuff that's worked, but like succession, like the top shelf stuff has not come out of this particular no. process. I think the psychological domestic thrillers an interesting space too, because it is the kind of thing that a lot of, frankly, women who follow Reese are in. It feels related to their life. Like it, it's also not expensive to make. It is not right. the covenant of water to have seven people Gosh. walk around an exurb it's outside of Dick Galveston production. or something, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you can and you can peg it to stars and do something else that way. So, I also don't think it's a gold mine. Um, Witherspoon and Hello Shunshine got sold for a whole bunch of money, but it's not a gold mine. This is not this is not an MLM or something like that. It's yeah, just so I fascinating mean, to see that be that this is the first is. one it's that so Oprah wants to take out and and get yeah. her and get moving behind. I think that gold mine point is one we can linger on for a second because mm. right none of the Reese adaptations on Hulu became like big big things that everybody was talking about. I think they got plenty watched, but we don't get numbers. Was Little streamers. Little Fires Everywhere a Hello Sunshine production? Do you remember? Yes, Little Fires Everywhere was. That's the biggest and, one, right? I yeah, think that that they and, did. Nine Perfect Strangers, and then Big Little Lies, I think was also, yeah, that was Reese, but that was on HBO. Um, yeah, that was a pretty big hit. Mm-hmm. They've got a couple of seasons. That was, that, that was a pretty big hit. You get, that like, that was on hit. full HBO, not just Max. Yeah, uh, so you get right. HBO money and prestige there. Um, we haven't seen Oprah do this before. Pachinko on Apple was b- big and beautiful, I think is probably the best analog we have for what a sh- a- an adaptation, a show of Covenant of Water could be like, but it also, right. like that was critical acclaim more than it was commercial success. With, so, with Apple, we have no sense. Yeah. They, I mean, they don't even- they, And they don't like even really even, have to care. They have so much no, money. <laughs> and even when they're following like their their quarterly reports, it's like such an afterthought, their right. streaming revenue. It's like they're not breaking it down like show by show. Um, maybe we'll get some of this. I don't know the union contracts if we're going to get more data that'll leak out about what shows are being watched. Um, but it's a lot less than people think. I mean, I think really, I mean, Coda won Best Picture for Apple, mm-hmm. and that was clearly a crossover. But other than that, I think Slow Horses might be their biggest hit on Apple TV Plus. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's close. Oh, Ted Lasso, right? I guess I'm thinking of the prestige adaptation mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Slow Horses is an adaptation. I wonder how many units of the McCarran books those things are moving. Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. It's, there's no packaging. I've been in multiple bookstores in the last few years, and I have not seen Gary Oldman schlubbing his way across a tie-in <laughs> version of that book. Yeah, I don't think they've done uh, TV covers for the Slow Horses books. No. I haven't seen like paperbacks with the fresh, like as seen on Apple TV situation. And I think you're right to point out that none of these have become the big thing. Prestige TV is still really driven by yeah. original creations original property right now you know we're coming off of succession the bear just won a bunch of golden globes that's the stuff um adaptations Hmm. are the mid list of tv no matter how beautiful or expensive the adaptation is those are pretty solidly mid-listy in terms of interest and performance yeah game of thrones i think was an outlier with also big prestige and hbo money and it came out while the books were still going because those books are still going now (laughs) Are they? <laughs> at some point, at some point, you got to look at our verb tense, Rebecca, um, and see what we're doing with that. I guess while we're crossing in over to the world of movies, um, this got a general what from our book riot <laughs> slack yesterday that Keanu Reeves is collaborating with China Mieville on a science fiction novel that apparently mm-hmm. is related to Reeves's comic called Berserker. Uh, my brain stopped functioning once I got like three lines into this. I don't know what to say. It's it's cool. Uh, it's called it the Book of cool. Elsewhere. Del Rey, January twenty or excuse me, July twenty third of this year. Uh, fa- fascinating. Yeah, it's a story about an immortal warrior on a century-spanning quest to discover the key to his immortality and perhaps a way to free himself 
from it. I, I didn't, I said in today in books when I featured this, that I did not have Keanu Reeves writes a sci-fi book on my 2024 bingo board, but I'm not yes. really surprised. Like this makes no, I'm a not kind either. of sense, right? Like Reeves is known to be a pretty literary guy. Um, back in the day when I was on Twitter and Twitter was good, I remember booksellers telling stories. There was like a day where everyone was talking about how nice Keanu Reeves is. And there were multiple booksellers telling stories about him coming into their store and how widely he read what interesting taste he has. I had missed that he has this Berserker comic series, mm-hmm. but you know, having seen him do the trilogy of The Matrix and then the four John Wick movies that live in this like speculative sci-fi superhero yeah, right. space. I think he understands that space and has an interesting imagination for it. And for my money, maybe nobody's imagination is more interesting than China Bieville's. <laughs> So, so for those of you who don't know, China Meville is maybe, if, you, if you're asked to define the genre of weird fiction, like as a genre, at least five or six years ago, he is who you would have started with. Yes. Right? The city and the city, rail sea, a bunch of stuff. So they tend to be speculative, but not speculative in ways that you are going to expect. They tend to have strange premises. Um, they're one-offs. They're not part of connected universes. Very, very interesting person. I, I think this is, is probably a... If you're going to have a co-writer as a celebrity, this is as much street-slash-commercial cred as you can pack into one mm-hmm. being's body. Like, who else are you drafting, Rebecca? If you're Keanu Reeves <laughs> and you're writing a speculative fiction sci-fi novel, would you go anywhere else? If you could get anyone, would you pick anyone other than China Mieville? This seems like so perfect that I'm having a a hard time even imagining. Like an Charles, you maybe I would to, look oh, at Charles, like NK Jemison. Yes, yeah, Charles, you were NK Jemison. I could see too. I think it's important, but he's and, weirder than them. He yeah, just is. Right. It's important and him. telling that Reeves isn't paired up with you know, a more like mainstream, less weird, yeah. you know, or like a really big James name. Patterson right. even, yes. you know, you sure they thought about like, what about one of these other processes that are available where you can hit your name to, um, you know, like Dolly, like other people have done this. I'm, I'm not saying mm-hmm. there's anything wrong with this, but this is a, I don't think Meevil is a writer for hire who's going to be like, okay, Keanu, what do you want and how is this going to yeah, work? It, and, you know, it I, lends I, I it a gravitas, I think, that Meevil signed on. You know, like that he. And the packaging? Yes. Sorry, yeah, it makes me believe that he has confidence in, in Keanu Reeves and in the story that they're going to tell. Yeah, and the packaging mm-hmm. is cool. <laughs> so, this, I think the other thing this connects really interestingly to is the Oprah IP stuff we were just talking about. Keanu Reeves has been in some of the biggest franchises of all time. And this is something I've wondered about before. It's kind of like when Ray Charles famously um, asked to own the master recordings, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that was one of his central things. Or even like Taylor's version of all these things. The artist owning the underlying problem, not just the songwriting and music is very strange. I was trying to explain my to my kids the other day and I think blood started shooting out of their eyes and listening to me talk about what was the different kinds of rights. But if if Reeves has a property here, you can only imagine he would be super interested in turning to something and not just that, but then he owns the rights to the universe, right? Yes. If there's a spinoff, if there's sequels, he doesn't even have to star in all of them. Maybe he's a secondary character, but then he gets his pay, he gets his, what they call raid or whatever, I don't know what they mm-hmm. call this, he, like he's his, his money for being in the thing, but then also the residuals and the profit sharing and the extended universe and the Funko Pop toys and everything else that goes into it, because John Wick's a whole universe now. Yeah. Think if he had a George Lucas deal with mm-hmm. that. It'd I think be it's a completely different situation. It's really smart, and it makes sense also for this just the stage of his career that he's in. He's yeah. in his late 50s, the, that kind of action film that he's been doing with John Wick and with The Matrix is really hard on your body. And My he's boy in, has to be tired. Yeah, he's in great shape, but he's got to be tired. And pro- and looking yeah. to the rest of his career, it, it makes sense to think about moving more into a producer kind of space. So if you can be the creator of the IP and yeah. then have production you know, credits going on for adaptations of this. Like, are they talking about some sort of mm-hmm. Berserker universe film or TV show? I mean, they, they have to you be, would th- right? Yeah, you they would think so. And man, he, he's an interesting one. Keanu Reeves is such like, a, he's so quiet in the public eye. Like, he's not out there. We don't know he's much about him. He's driving his motorcycle it's around, just, writing poetry. Like, just, I don't, it can't be real. <laughs> 
I just, I, I kind of love that, like, he just pops up and this is the news. And we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, it seems yeah. very deliberate. He's not doing a whole lot of stuff. He's not out here shilling for, you know, everything he's ever found to be interesting. I don't think we're going to get mm-hmm. the Keanu Reeves book club and movie studio. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it reminds me, I, I see very little social media stuff, but I think Michelle showed it to me. There was a clip of Brad Pitt being asked why, you know, is he ever getting on Instagram? He's like, no, <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm just fine. He's like, why not? He's like, no, no. I, he's like, no, I don't think so. And the interviewer's like, why not? He's like, I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> that, that's the ultimate flex. I'm it's just like, okay. I'm doing okay. And you know what? He is. Oh, he, he, he's not. That's not being untoured. That's not oh, being I know. pompous. Like, that's being sort of yeah. humbly honest. Right. He's way. doing okay. Really... Yeah. Keanu does not need to be on Instagram. Also, can you imagine the horrifying mess of those DMs from strangers for these guys? Why? Why? Why would Why? you subject yourself to Why? that? I don't think Keanu particularly enjoys his sex symbolness. He doesn't need to be subjected to, to any. But you know what? But... He could tone it down with the leather jackets and gray hair and rumpled stuff. <laughs> If you really wanted to, I can show him some of my own pics. If Could you want just to avoid stop being cool. If you want to avoid the attention of others, I've got notes for you. You can read my putt, Keanu. You just marking up your little envelope with a flat cap, dear Keanu yeah, Reeves. That's right. My flat cap. I was like, you know what? Have you ever considered seven year old target hoodies? We should send him a book riot hoodie. He'd be like, there you go. What is this? He's like, what are these squares? What are they doing? <laughs> All right. We're, let's take our second sponsor break and get on with some more news. All right. Maybe we should stay in Celebrity Corner for one more minute. Yeah, let's we got to talk about T. Sweezy. <laughs> so, um, this is the third Taylor need, Swift literary story of the year. Of, of the last I, year. Listen. Sure. I, I am trying to... Taylor Swift seems like a very interesting person. Some of the music seems listenable to me. I don't have a relationship to it. I don't care. Not not a bad way. I just I'm not in on the board. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we're doing this. Is there a world in which this is true, Rebecca? That Argyle, no, which is a th- thriller being published today, <laughs> this week. I guess this, this is week. the UK. I'm getting a little confused about where we are. It's this week. It's out now. I've seen the trailer for it, which looks like I maybe accidentally brushed my teeth with pain medication. It's a wild trailer in which Bryce Dallas Howard plays a novelist who writes spy thrillers and it turns out one of them is true and the ending is going to be... It's like Mission Impossible meets Stranger Than Fiction as far as I can tell. Yeah. and It's a wild story. So the book is out this week and the adaptation is out February 2nd. It was like right. it was being optioned and produced at the same time that the book was in production. The author's name is Ellie Conway, but it's known that that is a pseudonym for someone. And Swifties have picked up what they believe to be are Easter eggs in the story and in the trailer for the adaptation and concluded that Ellie Conway must be a pseudonym for Taylor Swift herself. Now, the Swifties have been wrong before because they thought they had picked up Easter eggs about the big celebrity memoir yeah. that was coming out this summer, and it turned out to be the BTS book. So this is not their first time at the Conspiracy Theory Rodeo. I think the biggest reason this is obviously wrong is that Taylor Swift is maybe the savviest marketer in the pop culture landscape today. And when you have access to a ginormous, enthusiastic fan base... Why would you not bring the full force of that to bear on publicity if you have written a book? I think we might get a book from Taylor Swift someday. I'd Are probably you just suggesting, Rebecca, <laughs> that the presence of a cat in this movie is not definitive? And I'm not kidding when no, I say she that. She puts seems a cat to in be, a backpack, and Taylor Swift has done to that. Be Jeff, the single sturdiest rebar. <laughs> Like, that the skyscraper of speculation is built on. We need to calm down. It's, this is a rickety structure 
at best. I, I think, you know, the generous reading here is that the Swifties would love for Taylor to write a book. The ungenerous reading and really where I have arrived is either whoever Ellie Conway is got lucky that some of the imagery in their book mirrors Taylor Swift and now they're getting all this publicity from the Swifties. Or, you think synonymous person, like, you know, if I put a cat in a damn backpack, <laughs> they're going to go nuts on TikTok and think it's T-Swizzle. Or I, some that, savvy you know what? You're, did it. You're outant if you do that. We need to elect you president <laughs> yeah, the, and dominion of the universe. If you can do the that. best, or the most likely scenario here is this totally accidental. Whoever yeah. is Ellie Conway is like, oh shit, I had no idea when I had this character put a cat in a backpack <laughs> that the Swifties were going to go nuts. Also, this book is doing just fine already and it's not even out yet because there's a huge Apple TV adaptation with big yes. stars in it. Like whoever Ellie Conway is, she doing okay. But Taylor well, Swift and, like w- doesn't need to and would not make this anonymous. There's a billion reasons. Is there why. a world in which, again, it's a completely different situation, and I hesitate to even bring it up because it's silly, but here we go. <laughs> Let's do it. Robert Galbraith. I mean, it's been done before. <sighs> it has where someone been done who has before. a giant pool of cultural capital has decided for one weird-ass reason or another to, like, I'm not going to use Stephen King tried to do this and yeah. got outed. Like, it happens from time to time. Again, I think the best argument for it now is that the pub date came and gone, and we didn't get a mm-hmm. d- day before surprise announcement was actually, you know, I wrote this between my 90 performances that I did over the last two years. Right. Yeah, she's spending three and a half hours a day on the treadmill preparing for her shows. Right. So Not that someone is... couldn't ghostwritten it or something else. Right. Just, I, mean, I think what we have here is millions of people interested in Taylor Swift and looking yes. for stuff to do. Yes. That's what we have here. I think that that's the story here is that the Swifties will read Taylor Swift Easter eggs into all kinds of stuff that is not actually a Taylor Swift Easter egg. And you know what's interesting? To, oh, go ahead. Finish. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> you know what I want to see now is a yellow face like novel about a author who writes something like this. And it gets mistaken to be a mm. pop star's breakout novel. Interesting. And they get they get swept up into the the cultural whirlwind. Yeah. Not of their own volition. It would be, extra, yeah, yeah, and that's kind of an erasure American fiction vibe. Yeah. Right. Too. Um, yeah. I I just don't think this is Taylor Swift. Yeah, I think Robert Galbraith is an interesting comparison, but Rowling was, I mean, first off, in the literary space and was trying to pivot to a different literary space. And I really trying to have, prove she could do without the name, yeah, without the boy who lived, right, um, or that thought maybe like people wouldn't be interested in her mysteries. They only wanted the Harry Potter books. There are a lot of reasons to try to do that thing. Same with Stephen King. You know, it's like when Garth Brooks wanted to do something that wasn't country music and he thought he needed to be Chris Gaines. Yeah. Like, I just I mean, don't think Taylor listen, Swift has what, those incentives. Now, would I love this to be true just for the content? Absolutely. <laughs> what a fun, weird story. People would lose their minds. But I, I don't see this um i think we need some sort of scale for this now i think this is we're entering into a zone that we've never experienced here where someone is so famous that we've had multiple stories of it encroach upon our show (laughs) to say why it's not the case that this super famous person wrote this anonymous book three times we've done this it's it is wild and i just think if taylor swift were marketing a book it would have been something like send in the stub from your eras tour ticket and we'll send you a coupon to get your pre-order or something you know like the, it would be integrated I talk don't about know. They, they play four-dimensional chess over there i don't even want to speculate what they would do because they'd know more about this than i ever will but i don't think it's i don't it's think gonna it's be bryce dallad howard on apple tv and that's it no one's gonna know for a while it seems like a very yeah, strange maneuver. but hilarious i i imagine that there are writers out there right now like scrolling through Taylor Swift stuff to be like, what can I embed in my next book that will make people think oh, I am Taylor I Swift? <laughs> right. Okay. Um, have we? Let's do OpenAI. It says it can't train LLMs without copyrighted material. I'm not even sure what else to say about this. The, the headline says it all. I think I even said at one point, like when you say the choir pot loud, mm-hmm. no one is disputing this. I guess people saw this. I even did too initially as kind of a gotcha 
No one is disputing they're using copyrighted material. What's being disputed is, is this constitute fair use just right. for everyone out there? Yes. Right? That's what's being disputed. Yeah. I think the the like, like element of this that was worth really making explicit and when I covered it in Today in Books, the thing I wanted to say is like copyrighted material here is code for material that is new and relevant and useful like the alternative yes. is stuff that's old enough to be in the public domain everything up up into including 1929 at this right. point or something like that and so you know like it's annoying enough if you ask chat gpt if you forget that chat gpt doesn't know about a lot of things that happened after 2021 and you ask it questions it's annoying enough to like not get information yeah. about newer things there is no way that a chatbot trained like, or a large language model trained on information that stops at 1920 would be useful for anything we need to do in our lives. That would be amazing. Someone should make today. that and call it like Gats GPT that's just like only <laughs> up to like 1926. And you're like, you know, <laughs> I hear that new Model T is a real corker. Like that's the kind of stuff it spits out. It'd be amazing. Yeah. When you send it the prompts, you have to be Ricky. like, hey, old boy. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, what say you? Yeah. What's happening in West Egg? <laughs> yeah. uh, that would be funny. But yeah, yeah that, no, I guess maybe as we're trying to screw our head right on, this is a thing that maybe needs to sort of stipulated by the chatbot makers. It's like, yeah, we're using copy to make them relevant and useful in the way that we understand them. Mm -hmm. We have to use copyright material. And we think that's fair use. Right. That's yeah, the, and the, that's, the coordinating conjunction. Is yes, right. And that is exactly the case that they're making. But I think mm -hmm. that important distinction and important like, piece of clarity didn't happen in a lot of the coverage about this, like in the last part, the really the second half of last year. And as all the lawsuits were coming out, it's authors being very understandably upset that their copyrighted material is available. And there's this sort of like unspoken, well, can't they just use something else? And the answer is no. <laughs> like if they or want to us. have. Well, I right. mean, that would be the other way. And, or right. pay and they could. They yeah. They, could. they should consider that. I'm sure that conversation is going to continue to be part of what's mm -hmm. on the table here. But they they can't just use something else if they are trying to produce technology that actually does what it's intended to do, which is give people answers to questions and you know streamline work processes and all of the things that AI is purporting to be able to do in the world. So the real question, yes, is can they do this under fair use? But in terms of like, why does it have to be the copyrighted materials? Because like, well, that's the new stuff that is actually yeah. useful. Um, speaking of things that is not useful, <laughs> I guess I guess I thought maybe we're at the nadir of this. I was wrong. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Florida County has banned the dictionary and not some weird, not some, not, I shouldn't say weird, not some dictionary of sexual health or... It's just the dictionary, Rebecca. It's it just is. regular dictionaries. Yep. Also, the thesaurus, some encyclopedias, the Guinness Book of World Records, Ripley's Believe It or Not, but like the dictionary, several editions of it. Uh, this is Escambia County, Florida. The hearing began yesterday on January 10th in a lawsuit against uh, the book bans there. The lawsuit was brought by Pen America, Penguin Random House, and several authors whose books have been banned. And the ban prevents school libraries from having books with, quote, sexual conduct. So I guess even just like the driest possible definition of I don't even know what kind of sex acts the dictionary would define. They banned Adventures of <laughs> Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. It is truly absurd. Like it, I, I hesitate to say we're at the bottom of the slippery slope, but it. I don't how know where else you go though. I mean, the dictionary. Do I, I really dictionary. don't. What's right. like what's next? I mean, I don't really know. Like after that, it's like I, and everything's off the table. We've entered the Tyson zone, which Bill Simmons is like, describe mm -hmm. what you'd believe any story about Mike Tyson at some point. At some, we've entered the dictionary, banning the dictionary zone where yeah. everything is on the table. I have a question. I Do your kids yeah. use paper dictionaries? Do kids like these days, what is the actual impact of this? Because the like philosophical mm -hmm. impact of this is completely absurd. But do kids That's use a dictionaries? Good question. I don't know. I mean, we, we have, um, where our floor is actually made out of iPads. I had someone come in and could you to retile our whole house with iPads? <laughs> it's, it's like that, it uh, like. like that keyboard and big, but <laughs> yes, that's right. It's just a bunch of Apple products. So, and we look up stuff all the time together. I, we have a thesaurus that we have used before. We have encyclopedias mm -hmm. we've used. In terms of the actual dictionary, I don't know. Um, so, the practical effect—it's—it's it's an interesting question. I think 
the is can you get on a web browser in these libraries is i'm not sure right. we've had that discussion do these kids have access <laughs> yes. to google <laughs> yeah are we back banning dictionary.com like how, that's going to be very interesting but this is this is i guess the shouldn't be terribly surprising and yet here i am again reducto mm-hmm. ad absurdum of Anything related to sex and have anything because this I'm sure has definitions of vagina and penis and foreplay and all the other all the other fun stuff in here, and by a strict reading of this, they should go. When when will this? I mean, come yeah. on. And uh, right, like sexual conduct is such. This is such a broad term here. Like my reading of that phrase would be: you can't have books that like describe or depict people doing sexual things, not just the definitions of sexual well, things. Well, I can't but, even refer to sexually who, transmitted diseases. Right. So I'm sure someone in Sherlock Holmes like, yes. may have syphilis. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, And I don't know. It's been a long time since I looked up a sex-related word in the dictionary. But when I was yeah. a kid, there was a big dictionary and all the encyclopedias in our family's living room. And I remember like looking up a couple things and the dictionary was really no help. Like, sure, it could tell you what the body parts are, but I'm pretty sure one of them was like that I saw a Cosmo headline about like climax. And this was when I was too young to know what that was. Right. Ru- you know, Webster did not help me comprehend it any further. <laughs> I don't know what they think the damage to the kids is going to be. Well, as always, groping around in the dark and not knowing, having any sense of what's going on. Yeah, that goes great for people. Yeah. Why does my pee burn? You've got nowhere to go. I was going to go look it up in a tale of two cities, but now I can't. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Imagine being sexualized by Charles Charles Dickens. You know, I was doing fine. I got a hold of a tale of two cities and it was all over. Went went hog wild. Those heights were weathering. What does weathering mean? It sounds dirty. Pants and just went out there. (sighs) Yeah, terrible stuff. Look, Um, I mean, look what it does to us. These kinds of stories, this kind of news, like all the wheels are off now. (laughs) Anything else you want to hit before? Oh, let's do anticipated books. Uh, Anything you want to hit from the book riot um, list that we didn't we ignored or cross over or didn't hit that you want to? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff crossed over from ours. Um, Come and get it by Kylie Reed. Praise song for the kitchen ghosts. Um, I've had my eye on disability intimacy by Alice Wong. Um, I was happy to see that that is featured here in contributors picks. Of course, knife by uh, Salman Rushdie makes the list um let's see my favorite thing is monsters book two i missed out on the fun of my favorite thing is monsters yeah, the first I time around two. i've heard some people that i really trust love this i might have to yeah. get on that train i think um, i'm going to try to get on that are. train too um let's see what else you got the lee bardugo big mm. one there's some a lot of romance and romanticy making appearances yeah just a good as good and eclectic and diverse of a list as i would expect from book riot contributors but i'm always happy to to see it and there are always things that i have not heard of yet so nice to be yeah. introduced to some stuff by our community too um and then maybe last while we're on the list tip goodreads members 76 most popular books of the last decade i tried to go into this looking and I just looked at it and I was like, yep, that seems about right. <laughs> it wasn't ranked or anything, so I don't know what to do with it. Um, I guess in terms of the biggest surprise, none of this is a surprise. I've seen all mm-hmm. these before. One I've looked at a million times is um, Kawaguchi's Before the Coffee Gets Hold. Like there's a whole genre of like cozy Japanese novels that usually have coffee mugs and cats mm-hmm. and or books on the cover. I've never tried a single one of these. Have you? No, I have not. Yeah, I have no sense of. I, so I'm I'm curious about that. I had forgot. There's some I'd forgotten about, like Orphan Train by Christina Baker Klein. Remember that mm-hmm. thing? That I was do. a phenomenon. Yeah. What else jumped your? Um, you know, I think the it queue is for attention for you. Here? I think it is in order here. The book riot coverage of it referred to. Oh, like, it is. In the, order. I think they're okay. in order. So I was surprised. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. You know Taylor Jenkins Reid's <laughs> debut novel. <laughs> debut novel. <laughs> Is number Gosh, one. Well. And I'm sure it's recency bias, but I was really expecting that we would see like a Colleen Hoover or or the Crawdads would be number one instead yeah. of where it is. It's at number three. That's still very big. Um, 
But I was a little a little surprised by that. And some of this, too, is like the girl on the train is almost 10 years old. So it's had 10 years. That the, it's had the a lot two of time on, on the track. Time to accumulate ratings and yeah. reviews. So newer books have a harder time uh, here unless you just really come out of the gate hot. Um, but an interesting scroll through to be like, oh, yeah, that book, that was almost 10 years ago. Or some of these feel like they were maybe even longer ago than that, at least in my weird Internet memory. Yeah. So. The Colleen Hoover that's here is Ugly Love, which is yeah, not one of the, no. I wouldn't have picked that out of the top five. So I don't know what weird, I don't know how this is going on. I'm not sure. I don't that either. Is not, I, I need some explanation of how is this not, it ends with us. I, I'm serious. Like how yeah, is it Ugly I, Love? I don't know. I, I yeah. wrote that as well in Today in Books. Like I was expecting to see Colleen Hoover and I was expecting it to be It Ends With Us and that it's not on both counts. Mm-hmm. Uh, really interesting. And it's been, you know, two, it hasn't been long enough for Fourth Wing to do its thing here and be a big player on this list. So I think the only book I actually, I, I should take this back. The only book I actually haven't heard of here is called Before We Were Yours by Lisa Wingate, which is mm. historical fiction from... 2017 um, an orphanage oh yeah I guess it's based on a real life scandal I'm sure this was a book club library Mm -hmm. monster of some kind Uh, yeah interesting to see Station Eleven just making it under the cut because it's almost this year is 10 years since Station Eleven Mm -hmm. which we talked about before anyway I guess turns out popular things are popular and we cover this for a living so no real surprise there (laughs) So much less nonfiction. I thought there'd be some more big yeah, nonfiction got, here. We get the memoir. We get mm-hmm. a couple things, but an atomic got, habits. There, there's only that and um, the subtle art of not giving an F. Yeah, Those that the only self help Debbie. There's right. no Adam Grant. There's none there's of that a, stuff. Educate, and then on the memoir tip, there's educated and Michelle Obama's yeah. becoming and spare is pretty far down, but whole lots of commercial fiction. More than a couple World War II situations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The only, I think only one author with two is Taylor Jenkins Reid. I think there might be three of hers on the, on there. Is that right? Yeah. Malibu Rising is higher up the list too. Yeah. Oh, I think I scrolled past that completely. She's doing okay, TJR. I don't think we're talking about it enough. Well, we talked about it with the UK bestseller that she was still in the top 20 for the UK. I'll be curious. We still haven't seen, by the way, TikTok Publishers Weekly on the bestselling books of 2023. Looking forward to that. Um, I don't have anything. Do you have any, any anything interesting in Frontless Foyer? I, I have some mid stuff. I have nothing. I, I have nothing in Frontless Foyer. I've had one of those weeks where like I have looked at a book, but I have not finished anything <laughs> that I care to talk about just yet. Yeah, me too. I'm in the same <laughs> boat. Um, I think we'll end it there. You can find show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. Links to all the things we promote for ourselves in the show notes, but read harder, the Book Riot podcast newsletter. Better Living Through Books, which Rec is writing. Very excited to see there. The only thing I'm not excited about is we maybe should have called it Someone is Staring at You in Personal Growth. We'll <laughs> maybe talk about that uh, if we ever need to do a rebranding there. Um, and uh, you can go check out First Edition. Take a little bit of a pause. I have something coming later in January. But as we're ramping up here, I need a little bit of podcasting breather. But that will be coming back here pretty soon. Shoot us an email, podcast at com. Rebecca, thank you so much. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all so much. We've had a lot of people joining the Patreon of Yes, late. thank really, you. Really, really super appreciate that. Uh, means the world to us. Right now, what's the most, is it still the winter draft? Is that still the most recent thing? Uh, it'll be the winter draft. And by the time you're hearing this on Monday, we'll be, um, we'll have our bonus episode out where we're looking back at the fall draft at how the each of us did the books that draft. we picked, which ones did we read? Which ones did yeah, well? I, what I should we have you drafted? I noticed you made sure we got a fall draft look back on the calendar. <laughs> I noticed you made sure we were going to dwell. You know, on that I like draft. to dwell in my wins when they happen. Mm. I, I won't apologize for well, it. Well, it's so rare, I guess you should. <laughs> You should get a chance to shine. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you later.